Welcome to the Bad Podcast. The podcast about three Asian dudes from the Bay. Who only want one thing. Real, Real talk. talk. Welcome, welcome, welcome back to the Bad Podcast. I'm Daniel, and I'm here with my good friends, Han and Doug. And I will good. be your host for today's episode. In the last two weeks that I've been your host, we discussed our views and experiences around fashion and around the transformation of the Bay Area in the last few years. The narrative that I pushed in those two episodes was an examination of the importance of identity. In the fashion episode, we talked a little bit about creative outlet and how it drives our sense of self-identity. And in the transformation of the Bay discussion, we took a step back and looked at how our self-identity fit into a larger picture like the identity of the Bay itself and of our respective uh, industries that we work in. Today, we're gonna wrap it all up by taking an even further step back to discuss our personal experiences with the 2020 lockdown in the Bay Area, and hopefully talk about how our self-identity connects with the identity of our country during this very turbulent era. So this is my last episode as your host until my next time in the, in the rotation. So I'm excited to get started. Let's get it. Excited? Do it. Let's get it. <laughs> So my question of the day to you guys, is there anything in the Bay Area that flourished as a result of the COVID-19 pandemic? Yeah, so this one kind of took me for a bit of a loop because I've left the house, but I haven't really like left the house. Um, <laughs> yeah. But I would say from the things that I've noticed, I really do think that a lot of people in the Bay Area flourished because from what I've seen, like a lot of the people out here in the Bay Area actually did take it seriously. And that kind of actually made me a lot proud i know that's not really the type of thing you're looking for but if we're looking at other things outside of that biking <laughs> uh mm. biking is huge oh yeah you know, like there's like no bike parts uh from what i've heard or is it like really hard to get bike so yeah i would say that there's a thing but yeah, yeah i feel it though like in seeing everybody do their part and stay in it's kind of almost like the the spirit of the bay area is the thing that flourished right that everybody yeah, yeah, yeah. was working together yeah i mean like you you do have like a few outliers and stuff like that but for the most part like i'd say yeah. a good majority did listen and quote unquote trust the science yeah I, I think and it was really encouraging and also just like made me really proud of the community right i think that's what maybe you were trying to get at too is that it, it felt really like okay we are a community we are all in this together and we're all right. kind of listening and, and doing our part i felt like i didn't really have to argue with anybody or never really came across people who were like anti-maskers in the city or anything like that. Yeah. Right. You know what I mean? So I felt like everyone was on the same boat for sure. In thinking about this question, one of the things that I noticed, I, I wouldn't necessarily say like flourish, but I noticed one of the big improvements, at least around my life was traffic. <laughs> like <laughs> To this day, my commute to work is like about 45 minutes when normally it's like an hour 10 kind of thing with full traffic or at least before COVID. So, I mean, it seems like there's just a lot fewer people on the road, which actually perhaps speaks volumes to um, what you were just saying in how, you know, people are choosing to stay home. Are you ready yeah. for the traffic to build back up? I'm uh, not. I feel like once <laughs> schools start coming back in session, that's really when it's going to pick up. But I think along with that, right, less cars means less pollution. I, right. I, I mean, I think a lot of just the environment, the Bay itself, I felt like flourished, right? Yeah. I mean, you saw reports of all over the world of like nature just getting back to being healthy again, right? Mm -hmm. And I think we kind of got to see a glimpse of what it would be like if like, I think there was like amazing photos of even like the Venice canals being like completely blue and, right. and things like that. Right. I don't know if there was huge changes here in the Bay. I think I, if I remember right, there was definitely photos of the, the waters being clear and just being a lot yeah. less traffic. I mean, Oakland's a huge port for imports, exports, you know what I mean? And so mm -hmm. a lot of the ships were slowed down or a lot of that commerce had definitely slowed down as well. And so I felt like that had really 
help clear up the environment of the bay. There's a couple of things I didn't want to touch on. Some are maybe a little more controversial than the others, but if we're being totally honest in terms of people that flourished during the pandemic in the bay are going to be tech companies, right? Yeah. I mean, all these tech companies made so much money during the pandemic and made the rich even richer. You've seen all these reports of how much Jeff Bezos is worth now and things like that. Mm-hmm. I mean, people order from Amazon more than ever, right? Because people were just at home. So, you know, I think we may not be the best judge of what the pandemic effect has been on the economy just because of how many tech companies there are here in the Bay, right? So it just felt like people were just working from home, just a small transition, you know, complaining from working from their desk. I think we're fortunate enough that we haven't heard of that many people losing their jobs. And I think it's been kind of a blessing in, in that in that regard. Now, to take a less negative view on it, and I'm sorry to be the downer on it, yeah, outside of tech fancy. companies, I think some of the things that really flourished were like campsites, man. Like, so I, I went camping twice, once in Mendocino, once in Half Moon Bay, and both times it was impossible to get a reservation and it was super expensive. Yeah. Because it was just crazy packed. And so I, even with that, so if you want to say related to that camping gear, I went to REI to try and pick up like some basics. Like even I tried to pick up a cooler, like a like literally a really expensive high-end cooler and I couldn't find, they were sold out everywhere. You know what I mean? I was actually going to bring that up because I remember you telling me about that. And when you said that, I was like, a cooler? (laughs) (laughs) Of all things? I know. I was was trying to buy a Yeti cooler. For those that don't know, it's like a really intense. It's a rad brand. It is a rad brand, but it was like sold out everywhere. It was nuts, man. That's crazy. Last, 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 last thing. I promise. Um, Grocery stores. I mean, people weren't eating out of restaurants anymore. I feel like people were uh, trying to cook at home and, and make th- that work. So I felt like grocery stores were doing pretty well. I remember always seeing a line outside of like Rainbow Grocery in the city. Uh, even a lot of Asian markets started to see a lot of traffic too, because people were trying to make Asian food at home, right? I think there was a huge influx of like, oh, I can't go to my favorite Asian restaurant. How can I make this stuff at home? So it's kind of cool to see that flourish as well. Yeah, it's true. Actually, I would say that like grocery stores were definitely like very well stocked during the pandemic, which is a blessing because we didn't have to struggle to like get anything we really need. I guess besides like the people that were really taking hobbies up, like like yeast was flying off the shelves because people, everyone's baking bread, right? But yeah, definitely grocery stores. The yeast industry for (laughs) show. All right. So now that we're all warmed up, got our our tongues loose, I'm going to move into the meat of today's episode. So the first question I have for you guys regarding the pandemic, specifically in the Bay Area, what was the most disappointing thing about having to shelter in place during the 2020 lockdown? So I'm going to give that in the framework, right, of like, for example, somewhere like Florida, where people were most disappointed about not being able to go to the beach, right? Because it's beautiful outside, but we'll have to stay indoors to protect each other. Did the Bay have anything like that where something really specific was was missed? This is a little broader and maybe a personal context. But for me, I was living in the city and like the heart of the city in South of Market District or Soma. And for me and my wife, it was our last year that we wanted to live in the city and we wanted to eventually move into the suburbs, like settle down, start a family, do all that. So it was supposed to be like kind of our last hurrah. So for me, it was doing all the things that I love about the city while I lived in the city, right? For example, like outside lands, Dolores Park on Sundays, eating at our favorite restaurants, going to Warriors games, the pride parade, things like that of just that that are so emblematic of the city beta breakers, for example, just to see it. And again, living in the city and being able to access those things either by public transportation or even by Uber and being able to see and celebrate and kind of partake in some of the key events that the city holds was definitely the biggest disappointment. Outside of that, more as a general note, I'd say as an extrovert, it really took a toll on my mental health. You know, not being able to see my friends, coworkers, or even family, because I don't live with my parents. And so I want to stay away from them to keep them safe. 
I developed a lot of anxiety and a lot of frustration and definitely an always constant internal battle of like, it should be safe. It's like, ah, but I shouldn't take the risk. And mm-hmm. kind of that push and pull for me specifically as an extrovert was really, really difficult. And it started to really, you know, zoom calls and things like that. Don't supplement, you know, real human touch. Right. So it was uh, definitely really, really hard on me. I agree. Outside of doing the things that I want to do, mostly do like travel and everything that you're not supposed to do during COVID <laughs> as we get kind of get older. I mean, I guess like selfishly, as we get older, I do know that this time frame, this age range that we're all in before we all kind of like really grow up, right? slowly kind of like fades. I mean, it won't fade for me, so forever <laughs> young. Uh, but I mean, like, yeah, realistically, personally, that was it. And I do agree with you, Han. As an extrovert, that was one thing. And I don't really, really realize it before I want to go out, then I just go out. And all I hang out with people, but then now that I'm like trapped, well, I'm not like physically trapped, but like now that I'm like sheltering in place, it was, you know, especially during the winter and I didn't really think that the weather would impact me a lot. Oh yeah. But it would be like cloudy and I just like wake up feeling down, do my work. Yeah. And there were so many moments during the pandemic too, that made it worse. Like we mentioned in a previous episode, but when the wildfires were burning also, and it got really hazy outside, I think that was right around the time where things were starting to clear up a little bit. I think we were maybe coming out of either the first wave. So things had just started to open up again and fires happened and it was super hot and the air quality was bad. So like you felt trapped outside, you felt trapped inside. It was just, it was really, really hard during that period. Yeah, Yeah, that's definitely true. I think I'm going to build off a little bit of about what Han was saying in terms of like outside lands and just being outdoors in general, which is weird to say because like outdoors is like, quote unquote, like the one thing that you can do. Right. During the pandemic. But when the weather is nice in the San Francisco Bay Area, that's a really rare phenomenon. It's usually like super, super foggy. So when it's nice outside, you almost feel guilty about staying indoors. Right. And so I think that that whole 2020 summer of like having to shelter in place, you know, to protect each other really took a toll on me, at least because it was like, oh, you know, we only get this this weather a couple weeks out of the year. And so it was it was it was tough to stay inside yeah. for sure. The city is small, right? I mean, well, at least San Francisco is small. I know that we're, we we do talk about the general Bay Area, which there's definitely hikes and places you can go. But us three living in San Francisco specifically on a really nice day, there's only like four or five places people really go, right? It's either right. like Dolores Park, it's gonna be the beach, Chrissy Field. Like there's only so many public open areas for people mm-hmm. to go to. And so it ends up getting super packed. And so yeah. you know that. So then you try to avoid it to avoid getting sick. And so, you know, I felt like the choices at least were limited, at least in, in the city itself. I'm yeah. sure if you talk about the broader Bay Area, there's more places you could go. But but the, that is a very accurate statement. Right. Like Mission Peak, going to get super crowded on, on really right, right, days, exactly, et cetera, et cetera. In summary, COVID-19 pandemic was not fun. <laughs> I mean, <laughs> all right, guys. It's, I mean, <laughs> all right. I agree that it wasn't fun, but I'm pretty glasses half full kind of guy. Yep. Yeah. Yeah. Really yeah. Even though it was pretty hard mentally physically, spiritually, I did always try to look on the bright side. And as much as bad things did happen overall in the year 2020, I did learn a lot about myself when I actually do reflect about myself in the year 2020. Yeah. I mean, just to add on top of that too, I think you just start to value things in your life and you see things a little yeah. bit differently. Right. And I definitely won't take a lot of these things for granted, you know, even just being able to randomly go see my family, right. Going to see my parents, yeah. being able to hug my friends, being able to grab lunch with coworkers, like things that I just felt like we're everyday life and you know always felt like was just given isn't right and it never is and so i think having the whole world on pause like that makes you really re-examine your priorities and, and learn a lot about yourself and what to value so I, I definitely agree with you on that yeah i really like that i really i really like that our conversation is heading in that direction because the whole theme of this series is 
the importance of identity. And right. um, yeah. I'm very, I'm very anxious to hear about what you guys learned about yourselves during the pandemic and, and kind of how that ties into our discussion. So I'm going to get into that later and we're, we're going to dive into that with more detail. Sweet. Until then, I have another question here for you guys that revolves around the 2020 social justice movement. So I'm going to open up with right, COVID-19. There's no denying the seriousness of COVID-19, right? Highly, highly transmittable. And at the time that I wrote this episode, it was responsible for over 500,000 deaths in the U.S. And yet, despite that, when George Floyd and Breonna Taylor were murdered by policemen, hundreds of thousands of people took to the street in protest together, right? Knowing the risk of catching the coronavirus. And thousands more joined together just to oppose that movement, right? So not even just Black Lives Matter, but we're talking about all these other people that are also protesting against Black Lives Matter, right? Mm -hmm. And they also knew the risk. And so, you know, when you boil it down, people were literally risking their lives and the lives of others just to proclaim their beliefs. And so, right, that, there's a lot to unpack there. But what I really want to get into is just like how you guys are personally going to remember the events of the 2020 social justice movement. Like if you could just pick out three things um, that you think you might remember most about this really, really turbulent time. If I were to sum up in, in totality what the theme of 2020 in terms of the political and social justice movement is, is exposure. What I mean by that is that I felt like because people were at home, because people weren't distracted with traveling or doing the social things that they normally do, that it shined a severe spotlight on many parts of our society that are broken, that are unjust, that have been problems for a long time, but just haven't really been talked about. One of the quotes that will forever stay with me that I believe is from Will Smith is racism is not getting worse. It's getting filmed. Right. And I think that was one quote that really, really stuck with me and I haven't forgotten it since. And so one of the things I've realized out of this, just out of the three things that you asked for is just exposing how racist our, you know, our country still really is. We live kind of in a bubble in the Bay area. And we've talked about this a little bit where a lot of our friends, colleagues, and neighbors are liberal. So we don't see this as much, right? But I feel like, you know, you start to really see the rest of the country and America's so big, right? I think, you know, we're talking about an identity and, and where we fit in with all this, but America is such a big country and our identity really here is in the Bay. I think it's important to acknowledge what's going on in the rest of the country as well. I think it's also shown a light on how broken our political system and how, how our society has gotten. For example, I can't believe that masks became a political right. issue. You know what I mean? Like it should have been a health issue. It should have been a health directive, but it literally became a sign of which political party you were on. Whereas the rest of the world understood it was literally a medical practice and precaution. Like to me, that is the most mind blowing thing. And it's only the US that had that sort of polarization. And the last thing I'll, I'll talk about in terms of the social justice movement, though it kind of happened, I would say in the latter part of, actually that's not true. It kind of happened throughout, but really a light shone on it in the latter part of 2020 and early part of 2021 was the racism against Asians. I think we saw it throughout the pandemic. We saw violence against elders. We saw violence against businesses throughout the whole pandemic, though it wasn't being blown up as much. But I think there's definitely been more of a light on it recently as well, which I, which I appreciate, but at the same time, it's, it's heartbreaking to see that as well. So again, I think it really is just exposing or shining a light on issues that have always been around, but really, really bringing them to the surface. Like that Will Smith quote, quote that is actually pretty powerful. I'm not going to lie. I think yeah. it's something that like, until you said it, I'm just kind of like, like, oh shit, you know, like mm -hmm. that, that is actually more or less true because like cell phone cameras is, is you know, just a development within last our lifetime, really. Yeah, within our yeah. lifetime. So it's maybe like 10, 15 years. But I mean, in terms of like 
the whole 2020 social justice movement, three things that I'll always remember about it was one privilege between Blacks, Asians, and like people of like other races and essentially like white people. Right. You know, and it's like you take the insurrection at the Capitol. Oh, right. Yeah. Oh, yeah. And like the stark difference between between that and like the BLM protests was like nine day. Right. On the same steps, too. Yeah. On the same steps. Right. I mean, it's something that I've always seen, but it is not something that I've ever really, I guess I like, quantified in my head, mm-hmm. like how how big it is. But yeah, I mean, total big learning experience for me. Another thing was like solidarity. I think it's super cool that, you know, it's not just like black people fighting for black people not just asian people fighting for asian people there are like a lot of other people fighting for other people's rights just to live and be in america yeah i think allyship was definitely on allyship yeah allyship was definitely huge in 2020 i think that there are people that were that came to the call on both sides right yeah and i think it was amazing to see kind of that unity in the space yeah and and to me the last one is just not gonna lie to you it's a little disappointment yeah. <laughs> yeah 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 for sure yeah i'm gonna i'm gonna pick up on that one <laughs> maybe maybe it is because we live in this bubble to be honest in the back of my head i was like damn i thought we were better than this mm-hmm. like even even in bay area right with a lot of the attacks on the asian people right and in bay area i was just like dude i literally thought we were better than this yeah and it was yeah. pretty disappointing yeah i, I kind of want to pick up right where you where you dropped it right there with the disappointment. So one of the big things that I'll remember um, from the 2020 social justice movement is actually the 2020 presidential election Mm. and how close it seemed at the beginning, I I suppose I should say, and just how many people were still voting for Trump, despite all of the inflammation that he put forward right into it, people and, and into dividing people during this Black Lives Matter movement. Right. And I think how close the election was felt really disappointing to me. Like I, for some reason, I guess I was expecting more people to kind of see his, I don't know how to say inflaming ways, I guess, and be more on the side of like, oh, you know, that's not good for our country. We should vote for someone who's going to unify us. But it was so close that, you know, I I kind of, my, my heart kind of stopped when I was watching. The second thing that I think will always stick out in my mind when I'm remembering the social justice movement of 2020 is the really, really large push to support black owned businesses and black, you know, content creators and things like that during the events, right, of the 2020 movement. I don't think yeah. we've ever really seen a, a big push like that, you know, to like go listen to black podcasts, support black businesses. They have important things to say, hear their stories, you know, hear where they're coming from because that's the only way that we'll really understand what Black Lives Matter means. And I think when you think back to something like Rodney King, right, where that was filmed, like you know, we were right. saying it being filmed, people were upset about what happened, but there wasn't really a big push to write let's sit down have dialogue you know with black people with black leaders and i think the events of 2020 really shined a light on like let's listen to everyone right let's try and hear everyone Um, and i think that was a really big step forward yeah i remember looking on yelp or even doordash uh, when i was looking for food to order and they said you know do you want to look at black owned restaurants black owned businesses and i think that was a and like i literally used that to find places where i wanted to eat right yeah. so i think technology has really had some really amazing effects on this sort of thing even with facebook like i remember there was like ways to uh, donate to black organizations and things like that so i think tech companies really stepped up in a way to help shine a light on these stories and these businesses and continue to, right. to push that along even with the asian hate, stop asian hate it started to become big as well same thing right they started to shine a light on asian businesses Asian stories. 
Asian people. So I thought that was fantastic as well. The last uh, thing I kind of wanted to say about the 2020 social justice movement in terms of what I'll always remember is the the really big stone wall in terms of the inability of conservatives to understand the real message behind Black Lives Matter, Right. right? When you say Black Lives Matter to like at a Trump rally or something like that, I feel like they all hear the wrong message. They're like, white people matter too. And what about all these other races? They matter too. And it's like, the message is that it's not that black lives matter more or that we're putting ourselves ahead of you guys, or we want something from you. It's, it's that there is an injustice against us where we're getting killed out here. Right. Right. And, and we're not getting justice. No one is caring about that. But, you know, like I said, there's a, there's a complete stone wall there. Once you utter those three words, it's like the opposition cannot hear the true message. They only hear that their lives don't matter. Yeah, yeah. That that was something that I, I'm kind of happy you kind of touched on that because that was something that when I go back to like the whole disappointment thing. When at what point did people stop wanting to have like that dialogue? Yeah. Or like you know, when did everything start becoming so? If not X, then you're Y. Or yeah, if you're red, right. then you're you know, if you're red, then you hate blue. If you're blue, you hate red. You know, this, to be completely honest, I was bad. I didn't vote. <laughs> I mean, I did vote this this year. 2020. Yeah. Yeah, but you know, this, this is maybe it was it was because of COVID. But you know, I I am starting to take a little bit more interest mm-hmm. into like what's what's happening locally, what's happening nationally. Right. And I don't remember it being so polarizing in the past. I'm gonna ask you guys a follow up question, um, right? Because right? we talked a lot about the divided identity of America during this 2020 social justice movement. Did your personal identity as an American change as a result of the social justice movement of 2020? Yeah, definitely. For me, there's a lot of feelings. We talked about disappointment, but I also want to talk about a couple others. I felt ashamed, frustrated, hopeless, angry. There's definitely a lot of emotions that came with the social justice movement. Doug, I think you put it really eloquently, which is, I thought we were better than this, right? I thought we had made progress, but it feels like we've taken two steps back. And so as an American, and specifically as an Asian American, I've realized how important it is to voice my opinion and my story and my beliefs, but to also reach out and to try and understand other communities more than I had before. For me, I learned a lot about Black history, history that I'd never learned before. And I think that's even, again, not to keep going back to the theme of exposing, but mm-hmm. I'm just realizing too, in our school system, we don't learn half of the things I learned during this movement. And so for me as an American, I'm realizing there are so many stories to tell and so many stories to learn. Yeah. For me, I don't think so. I mean, again, I'm very optimistic, but yeah. you know, I am hopeful, even though I wasn't dis- disappointed. I'm very hopeful for how we can move forward. I think there's a lot of work you see. I'm not trying to pass blame on anybody else, but or anything like that. But you see other countries, you know, other countries are dealing with dealing with the same stuff that we're dealing with. And if you think about how old the United States is in reference to other countries, do we're, we're babies? Yeah, hundred percent. Absolutely. I mean, it just it just does feel like it's a it's been a lifetime ago. But mm-hmm. in reality, a lot of other countries are still dealing with the same stuff that we're dealing. Yeah, you know, I'm not I'm not saying that's a good thing, but it's a universal problem. Yeah, it's yeah. a universal problem yeah. that really everybody that can too. come, you know, everyone needs to work towards. Let me ask you this then, as kind of like a, a follow-up to my follow-up, right? Really dealing with personal identity and how it aligns with the with being an American and the American identity, especially during this time. If you were traveling internationally and someone was like, hey, like, are you an American? Would you feel kind of weird about being like, yes, with the fear of like, you know, the stigma of like, oh, Trump? Or like, oh, mm. like, 
I don't know, whatever. I don't know. Right. I mean, like, I, I don't, I think, I think as Asians, I, I don't think that would be the first thing. Yeah. <laughs> we get asked. Yeah. <laughs> no, but you know, I, I know that there are jokes about like, oh, you just say that you're claiming you're Canadian. Yeah. Um, but no, I mean, I, I am still proud to be an American. I was, I'm born here. I was raised here. I am an Absolutely. American through and through. Right. And so with that, I'm ready to do the work though. Like I want to put in the work because I care about the soul of the country as a whole, not that to say that I have an influence on the soul of the country per mm. se, but you know, I yeah. want to do my part to give back to my community. And that's why even in a previous episode, I asked about what we're doing for the Asian community and the Bay Area community at large. And I think that there's just more we can do locally, nationally, all over. So like to Doug's point, you know, you got to have hope and yeah. I, I want to fight yeah. for what's mine. Yeah. I a hundred percent agree. Like when I, when I thought of that question of like, you know, if you're traveling internationally, someone asks you if you're American, like, what do you do kind of thing at first, right? knee-jerk reaction i was like oh yeah like canadian or whatever else um, <laughs> but it, but in those situations i think that we really are ambassadors to america right and mm -hmm. if you can show kindness to people overseas that like oh you're an american you must support trump like you're crazy you must be hella racist whatever whatever mm -hmm. if you have that sensitivity and you are open to them i think it can really um change people's perspective have a, yeah change yeah. people's perspective uh, have a good point. influence and so when you're talking about putting in that work, you know, I, that's kind of um, where I see myself starting by that traveling everywhere, <laughs> talking to Let's everyone. do it right now. <laughs> Dude. <laughs> Let's take a breather. That was a pretty intense topic um, to our listeners. Take a posture check, take a drink of water, take three deep breaths. And when we come back, we're going to jump into our bad break. So today's bad break is a little long. Um, we're going to have a lot of discussion around it. Um, and it involves the naming convention of diseases. So we all heard President Trump refer to COVID-19 as the Chinese virus in March uh, 2020, and it got a lot of media attention. My first personal response, right, was very, very defensive. And I'm sure I wasn't alone in this among the Chinese community or even the Asian community, right? But one talk show host named Bill Mayer, um, which a lot of people know he's really popular among liberals, kind of made an interesting point. And I'm going to quote him starting now. Scientists who are generally pretty liberal have been naming diseases after the places they come from for a very long time. Zika is from the Zika forest, Ebola from the Ebola river, Hantavirus, the Hantan river. There's the West Nile virus and Guinea worm and Rocky mountain spotted fever. And of course the Spanish flu. MERS stands for Middle East Respiratory Syndrome. It's plastered all over airports and no one blogs about it. So why should China get a pass? And that's um, where I'm going to end the quote. So personally, I'm still absolutely not an advocate for calling it the Chinese virus. But listening to that segment really made me stop in my tracks a little. Like even today, we have the UK variant, the India double variant, and the Brazil variant. But why, you know, I, I, after I put this section together, I, I was kind of thinking to myself, right, why is it still kind of touchy to me at least to have someone call it the Chinese virus. And when uh, me, Han, and Doug spoke about this offline, Han actually put it really eloquently. So I'm actually going to pass it to him and he's going to give a little bit more background about the importance of context here. Yeah, thanks, dude. I know that when we talked about this offline, it was really kind of a hot topic, right? I mean, I, I definitely see where you're trying to go with this or where he was trying to go with this. But at the same time too, the, the main flaw in this is his base argument with his, which is the scientist naming diseases of where it comes from. Right. In the sense that the context is key. Um, what the World Health Organization named it, which is this, 
at SARS-CoV-2, or most commonly known as the disease it caused, which is COVID-19. So there's already a name for it that we mm-hmm. were calling it, which was COVID-19. There was even a secondary name, which people were calling which coronavirus. There was already a name out there being used to identify the virus itself. Why I have a problem with this statement specifically is because former President Trump used China virus as his own term, right? He kind of right. came up with it and he's the one who just let it fly off the cuff. Yeah. He elected him, to use it. Right. And he used it as a, as a political term. Let's, let's not mistake it, right? He used it as a way to blame a specific country for what was happening in the world. Right. And so with that in mind, it created a lot of feelings of anti-Asian sentiment, where, which we felt throughout the country, especially here in the Bay Area, too, with all the taxing and the Asian communities and businesses. And so my, my biggest issue with this statement is that you're, you're talking about scientists naming a disease, but this wasn't a scientist. This was a political figure using it in a reckless way to create xenophobia in the country. And I think that context itself is what separates this naming convention than from others. So that's at least my, my spin on it. The last thing I'll say on that specifically is I think that there needs to be a, either an education on how these things are named or two, stop naming diseases from places that they come from. Give it a scientific name. You know what I mean? Like have people understand either the virus itself, whatever the medical terms are, instead of just naming it from the places they come from. Scientists may need to realize that naming it from places they come from may have unintended consequences. Mm-hmm. Right. And I think that that's something that's really important to keep in mind because though it may seem harmless and very logical, I would say mm-hmm. from a logical standpoint, humans aren't always logical. Humans are emotional. They see things like China virus. And then again, we've seen the actions out of that. Right. And so maybe scientists should stop naming it that way. Give it COVID-19. That's fine. We can all say that. Mm-hmm. Right. That's not a hard thing to say. And it doesn't associate with a specific race, group, or even country or place. And it's informational, right? Correct. Coronavirus identified in 2019. Perfect, right? Exactly. And even that got messed up. Let's talk about that for a second. People thought (laughs) COVID-19 was the 19th strain of COVID they found, right? Whereas it it was discovered in 2019. So this is how easily humans can fuck up even the basic information, right? So (laughs) let's stop giving viruses names of places from countries because otherwise people interpret it in terrible ways. My response to that is even before... COVID-19. When I heard West Nile virus, my first assumption, even as a kid was, that's a virus from West Nile, right? But then like, what what has happened in the last, again, it's bringing back to, you know, to the previous conversations we had, like, what happened in the last five, like, year, five years or so, where people just take things so out of context, or like, just jump to conclusions so fast, not when, but like, like why did why is everything so like cut and dry now or it's like th- there is no gray area to anything it's like like you said you're either with me or you're against me so in, in the case of the china virus i think it's straight misinformation and misinterpretation right there's been a lot of things right. taken out of context and then once it's taken out of context then it's a then you have to choose sides behind said context and so it all gets super convoluted but i think we either need to present actual facts without political drivers behind it maybe that's what it is maybe coming back to that right because it's depending on which news channel you watch that leans a different political direction, you're going to hear different reports on the same thing, right? So maybe we need to get back to facts, right? And educating. We talked about this in previous episodes, right, Doug, which is how do we educate? How do we, you know, share information that's fact, right? Mm -hmm. And I think that's harder and harder to get for whatever reason. Mm -hmm. I feel like the, the facts are there, but then people don't go out and search for the truth. If that makes sense. Yeah. But then how do you, how do you change that? I think sometimes too, just to throw another wrench into our discussion is that 
the interpretation of data. I mean, you guys work with data all the time. And just because there are factual numbers telling you something, right, you might interpret that data differently than a different data scientist, mm. right? Someone else might come to a different conclusion and say that the direction is going in another direction, I guess. Right. All right. Welcome back, everyone. Uh, back from our bad break. We're going to jump right back into the meat of our discussion. So regarding the COVID-19 pandemic, right, in a sense, health officials pushed the narrative of one for all, right? Stay at home to protect each other. But when it came at a cost to our individuality and our lifestyles, especially in the middle of 2020, when we're right in the meat of it, we saw an enormous divide in the human spirit. The anti-mask go-outers versus the wear a mask, stay insiders, right? The it's not that big a dealers versus the I work in healthcare and I deal with this every dayers, <laughs> right? As you guys were doing your part to stop the spread, and I know you were, this is why we're friends. <laughs> How did this divide in ideologies impact you? I talked about this earlier in the episode, but how did mass become a political conversation in the United States? How did something so basic and so not difficult become a huge divide in our country? In other countries in the world, it wasn't as big of an issue. If you look at places like Taiwan, Taiwan was able to all mask up, everyone followed the orders, and they have been, they were COVID free without the vaccine. The science works, right? And so seeing that and witnessing that made it really frustrating here in the U.S. to to just witness these surges because of people who weren't taking the right precautions or sacrificing the same things that we felt like we were sacrificing. I think there was a period where it got to a point where I got frustrated saying, why am I staying indoors yeah. and staying away from my family and my friends when all these people are just doing whatever the hell they want, mm -hmm. right? And and causing the disease to go on longer and creating the, the further lockdowns and for us to not get out of this you know, why am I the one suffering when they're just doing whatever they want? And I kind of had to check myself if I'm being totally honest, right? Which is I'm keeping myself and my surroundings and the people in my community safe. So I'm doing my part and therefore I should be proud of that. But there was a part of me, I'm not going to lie to you, that was like, well, fuck this then. You know, if, if not to say that I was going to go out and like not wear a mask or whatever, but like, I want to go out. I want to go do stuff like all these other people are like, you know, how come I don't get to do it? Why am I the one suffering? Why do I feel like I'm paying the price to, to move this forward when these people are just bringing it back? But I think just taking that step back and saying like, look, you're doing what you can for yourself and for your community and the people that you care about, that should be enough. And it, and it was, but to take it one last step further, and I want to hear from you guys too, is I think this idea of individualism in the United States versus community or uh, one nation sort of thought in other parts of the world. I think a really, really good example of this, and I'll share it from my experience. In Korea, people say Urinara, which means our country. You know, when they're talking about Korea as a whole, they say, oh, this, you know, in our country, we do this, right? But when the US, we say in my country, right? In my mind. So there's a lot of individuality in just how we speak and how we think of the United States. It's about me and mine and what's, what I deserve versus in other parts of the world, I think there's this idea of like, how do we all get better together? Right. And I think that those countries, frankly, did much better during the pandemic than countries like the U.S. that were focused on just the self. Udinara. Udinara. Yeah, actually, I kind of like that. <laughs> Udinara. Yeah, but that, that was very insightful. That was very yeah. insightful. Literally what you just said. Like, you know, I kind of went through the same thing where it was just like staying, especially during the beginning, where I was just like, I was probably a little bit more on the cautious side. And, you know, I'm not really like a super clean person, but dude, I was washing my hands like left and right. Touch them, wash my hands. 
Did you, did your hands get dry at all? Like, did you, did you like, cause my hands started to get like, like really dry and like cracked. Yeah. I did buy like hand lotion. Yeah. Oh. I have eczema. So, you know, I was just like peeling. Oh man. Yeah. I mean, I use lotion already. <laughs> Smart move. Keep them hands moist. <laughs> yeah. But I, I do think a lot of it just kind of really just comes down to education hmm. because the field that I'm in, I, I know more about COVID or, you know, I don't know more than COVID, but I, I would say like, I know more about COVID than the average Joe because I actually have to look into it. Mm-hmm. So I, th- I do think there's a lo- big part of it is education. I do agree with Han where it was, you know, getting it's a little frustrating. Mm-hmm. I'm doing listening. I'm making sacrifices. I see my friends making sacrifices and to see these people party in like other cities and on Instagram, it's a little frustrating. Not gonna lie. Yeah. Um, but it's funny because when I was thinking about this and I was like, if there was a nu- nuclear reactor that's failing in the United States because of a tsunami, I don't think anybody would volunteer to go in there. Cause like, you know, in Japan, yeah, like the old people were like, Oh, we'll go in because mm. we'll expose ourselves to radiation because, because we have a shorter life to live and you mm-hmm. know, the young people should be allowed to live a full life. Like that's, that's incredible, man. Yeah. yeah. That is really incredible. And then I think about here, everyone, everyone's just going to bounce. Nah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Right. Yeah. Yeah. And I mean, I'm not saying, but it's kind of like that, that community, because I did argue with an anti-masker like a while ago and it was just like all about him. It was really frustrating because it was like, I know you don't care about me. And then it's trying to like have him like, how can I teach this guy who's to be a good, decent fucking person to just show compassion. Right. Empathy. Yeah. Empathy. And I think maybe that's something that we lack. I don't know, but yeah, it was definitely very frustrating, especially when, when the cases were rising then yep. I was just like, God damn it. For my response, let me just say first, frankly, like I was really only able to bear the pandemic because I was extremely lucky enough to have like a job in 2020 on. Oh, you mentioned that earlier, right? Um, and it was a blessing, right? Yeah. To be like accommodated and to feel secure at a time when we had to stay in and when resources were really low. And that, it was just, again, a huge blessing. Like I didn't really have to struggle. And I'm thankful for that every day, um, which means I really get it when people perhaps need things to go back to normal, right? Like if you run a business or if you're struggling in some way to, I don't know, whatever, find a job or you're low income or something like that, and you need the resources of a regular community and a regular economy, I absolutely 100% get kind of that aspect of being sick of the pandemic and, and, and kind of being like, let's just open things up right? Because, because, you know, you need it, you're struggling, you're, I'm not going to fight you on that. But what I really don't understand is when people were anti-mask just because they were bored at home, right? Or just because they didn't like wearing masks, right? There's, you're like, you're not struggling, you got a you know nice big house with all your, you know, whatever home resources. And it's just, you're just being asked to wear a mask when you go out and to stay at home kind of thing. But people were not having it, right? They're saying, you know, you can't tell me what to do, you know, all this stuff. And it's, it's all about me. And it, it's that kind of, what's the opposite of selflessness, I guess. Selfishness. Yeah. Selfishness. Um, that, that really, really confused me and, and um, frustrated me. And so, you know, I think Han, you, you brought up a good point, right? Like masks became very politicized when it was a health thing, but on the, another end of the spectrum, I've heard cases where it's not political at all. And people are just tired of it, tired of the bullshit. You know what I mean? Um, and so I'll, I'll kind of tell you guys a story where I heard, you know, a friend and their significant other, significant other says, Hey, some of my friends are having an indoor party. Do you want to come? And you know, this, my friend was like, Oh no, 
Absolutely not. And the significant other said, yeah, it's like kind of risky because everyone there is anti-mask. They're just quote unquote, like tired of the bullshit. Don't bring that shit in here. We're just trying to have fun and have party kind of thing. And so in that case, right, it wasn't political. It wasn't, you know, a stance on who you are. They're just sick of being told what to do. They're just sick of, you know, wearing a mask kind of thing. And they just want to have fun kind of thing. And so it's, and so it was crazy to me. I mean, yeah. dude, again, bring it back to that same point. It's that's just selfish, right? It's just like, oh, yeah. I'm, I'm tired of this. So fuck it. I'm going to do what I want. Like, that's such a bullshit excuse. Yeah. I'll go even further than that, right? And say that very similar situation, different friend, significant other saying, hey, my family is having a party and they want you to come. They go to the party. No one's wearing masks kind of thing. My friend was like, uh, this feels kind of weird kind of thing. And it's, again, family. So there's like older aunties, older uncles kind of thing. And they just do not give a shit. But, you know, who knows whether or not they were like political about it, but it's just, I don't know. That's the thing. I feel like people made up excuses left and right. Right. I mean, I'll, yeah. I'll be totally honest. Right. I mean, I've had family too, where it was like, well, we're family, so it's fine. I'm like, that, yeah. just because we're family doesn't mean the co- the virus isn't contagious. Exactly. Exactly. It, it, it doesn't discriminate like The that. virus doesn't give a shit if you're family yeah. or if you're friends, if you're queens, mm-hmm. it, it doesn't matter. And so, right. so some of the hardest conversations I've had to have over the past year have actually been with family. Yeah. No lie. It's, right. I mean, where people are like, I want to see you. I haven't seen you in a long time. Like, let's, let's just hang out. Like we're safe. You know us. I'm like, I don't know what you do on a daily. And I know you go out and do other things. Like, I don't know if you're wearing your mask all the time. I don't know how safe you're being. Are you washing your hands all the time? Any of that stuff. So why don't we just do the safe thing and follow the CDC guidelines and just frankly follow the rules, right? Just yeah. for a little bit so we can get out of this thing. So instead of me being all stressed out about it, I can hug you without freaking out. Honestly, on that point though, it, that is very selfish. And I always think, dude, imagine if it was just when we were like sub 1000 cases, mm-hmm. right? And then everybody just listened and then it was gone. Mm-hmm. I, like, I, I literally always think about that because like, mm-hmm. like the that's ripple- what happened in other countries too, right? Yeah. Like- and it's like, it's like the ripple effects yeah. of like not listening. And I, like, I understand government shouldn't do like, shouldn't interfere in like certain things. Right. Mm-hmm. But it's like, dude, common sense. Yeah. Right. Okay. But then like, I, like, I, like to your point, like I do understand what some people, like if you're struggling, you want to go back to normal or some normal. But that's why I just, in that instance, I was just like, dude, if we just had like governmental help mm-hmm. convince people to stay home, mm-hmm. then we wouldn't have had COVID fatigue. Then we wouldn't have like this many, like, you know, people who complain about the economy because of the stimulus checks. Then we wouldn't have this many stimulus checks if we just listened. Yeah. Like the and- ripple effects of not listening. Right. But that's, that's why the message at the top matters. If it was just addressed from the get-go, said it was super serious, everyone stay inside, this could have been over so much faster. Okay, so I have one more question here before we get into the final wrap-up question. There's obviously the romanticized version of staying at home where you get to do a lot of the things that you couldn't do before because of commute and strict work hours. And then there's the real version of stay at home that impacts your mental health, ruins your pre-made plans for 2020, takes a toll on your relationships. So no judgment in the following question because everyone you know, had their own struggles. In what way did the 2020 lockdown hit you the hardest? And why specifically was that the thing that had you shook? And um, lastly, how did you overcome it? And I'll go first on this one, just because my answer is really simple. <laughs> the big one for me was cooking. I don't think that I was like mentally prepared to be responsible for cooking every single night, especially when it came to, you know, like not exactly like breakfast, lunch, and dinner every single day, but it was something that was on my mind every day. You know what I mean? And so it kind of gave me a new respect for, you know, all these single parents out there that they wake up thinking about dinner, you know what I mean? And, and, and 
going to the grocery markets to set up their entire week, right? When normally, you know, like as a, as a young adult for me, it's just sometimes I'll just go there just to get dinner that day kind of thing. But having to really like stick to a schedule and think about what we're going to be eating for the, for the, for the week kind of thing was really, was really tough for me just because I had never done it before. Specifically how I came over it, I guess, was <laughs> just finding really easy recipes and instant pot. <laughs> Um, but no, I, I thought I think, you say takeout. <laughs> not not exactly takeout, but like in the beginning of quarantine, when we had a lot more time, we were able to try a lot of different recipes, right? Because we had time. But now that like we've gone back to work pretty much, and there's a lot less time, and you know, other responsibilities are starting to pop up, it's pretty much boiled down to like five or six recipes that get cooked super frequently. And so I guess really that's probably the way it, that I overcame it but I wish that I could keep exploring more recipes. It's just coming up with the time seems challenging. You should read the food lab. It's like the food lab. Is it on Instagram? No, no, no. It's a, it's a book about just cooking, but scientifically. Oh. Anyways, for me, I think it hit me the hardest when you, you kind of touched on it, but it was just like, now I don't have to commute. Now I don't have to do X, Y, Z, just stay at home. And I was trying my hardest to be like really productive and being, you know, trying to like, quote unquote level up because in my head I was just like all right it's gonna suck but we have to stay home so might as well take advantage of the time that I have to try to like study and like better myself but then at some point I was like hitting a wall and getting a little really burnt out and you know I was just like sick and tired this I I would finish work last thing I want to do was like look at my computer and I would just like veg out and then just feel extremely guilty but I mean I think if 2020 taught me anything it was mainly to kind of just take those days in stride and kind of take it as like, you know, those are days that I'm not studying, days I'm not bettering myself or days that theoretically I'm just resting. I mean, it, it was just a way for me to rationalize in my in my head. I like that. I touched on it earlier, but definitely the biggest hit for me was the anxiety and depression I felt from not being able to see my friends and family. As an extrovert, it really hurt me in the sense of not being able to socialize with people I cared about and wanted to be around. So I felt like I was out of control of my own life and and being kind of almost sheltered away from the world. So what I did was to get back in control of my life with a, multi, with a couple of things, actively taking care of my mental health through both therapy as well as meditation and working out, trying to be as social as I can with friends through phone calls, Zoom calls, and regularly actively reaching out to the people that I cared about, like you guys. I and I think that the thing that it taught me the most during this period of time is two things. One, people appreciate when you take the time to reach out to them, no matter what, right? I think that no one doesn't like hearing from a friend and saying like, Hey, how are you? Or how are you doing? You want to chat for a second? And even if it's like a 15 minute call, it doesn't have to be like an hour long zoom thing, but just even like a quick chat between meetings was like hugely helpful. And then second mental health is not something that is just a one-time fix. It's something that you always have to check in with yourself. So I learned kind of how to always check in with myself every day and just get a judge and bar of where I'm at, even on a sliding scale and taking steps to make sure I manage my mental health actively. Whether it's a good day or a bad day, I want to meditate. I want to work out. uh, I want to breathe. Right. And so that's what really helped me to get through it. All right, guys, thank you so much um, for all your honesty uh, in the last four questions (laughs) and just this whole pandemic interview. I know it was uh, really heavy. So I really appreciate your honesty. So this is my last question of the night. We talked a lot about the importance of identity over the last three weeks. In the fashion episode, we talked a little bit about our personal identity and creative outlet and how it drives you know, who we are. 
And even if, you know, what we wear on our backs per se might not be an accurate representation of who we are. It's kind of like the choices that we make in terms of who we buy from, mm-hmm. you know, speak volumes. In the next episode, we examined how our identity fit into a larger picture, like the identity of the Bay and of our careers. And in this episode, we took an even further step back and looked at how our identity intertwined with the chaotic events of 2020. So in closing, <laughs> I want to ask the same question that I started these episodes with just to see if your answer has changed. And if not, that's okay. Um, and just to get your final thoughts. So my question is, what is the importance of identity? I like how you brought it back to the first question. I feel like my answer is just going to change slightly in the sense that the importance of identity is still the same, but how your identity is shaped by the people you're surrounded by and the communities that you're in is way more important than I, I think I ever really imagined. Going through these episodes, not only about fashion, but also the Bay community and how it's changed and even how the world has changed during the pandemic. I'm realizing now that who we are is ever shaped by the world that we're in and the communities we're surrounded by. The clothes definitely don't make the man. The man make the clothes. That's a good one. (laughs) But I'm almost wondering more now if the community shapes the person. I'm finding now that like I've been influenced a lot by you guys, by my community and the people around me and my, and my own choices have. So it's, it's just, it's very interesting to see that push and pull and taking that thir- sort of 30,000 foot view of my country and my community, but also just myself and the choices that I make every day. So what is the importance of identity? It's important in that it helps root where you are and who you are in the community and the broader world. Yeah, actually, that makes sense. I think that makes a lot of sense because when I first asked you this question in the first episode, your answer was pretty similar to that, I think, right? It was. It was, it was Doug's was all about confidence. Yours was kind of more about knowing who you are, right? Mm-hmm. And, and, and how that can drive your life forward. And now building on that, right? It's just how important community is in, in driving that. And now you make me think about what I said last. Identity is kind of, it gives you confidence, but then I, at the same time, I was very unsure because it is one of those things where it's chicken or the egg. Do you get confidence before you reach it, before you get your identity right. or do you have your identity, then you become confident. And then for me, I don't know, life was just such a blur. <laughs> <laughs> I think it's just your twenties were a blur. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I wonder why. Anyways, so when we, you know, when we come back to that question of like, what is the importance of identity? It's funny because I actually totally forgot that you said you asked us that in the first one, and oh, well, I didn't forget. But then it wasn't like my first thought. But now when I when I was thinking about the question, it was still really hard for me to come up with an answer. But overall, like to me, identity is that guiding north star for you, and it's like that moral compass of of who you are. I don't know if that's making sense. And it's funny that Han said it's like we influence him. Whereas from my point of view, I influence me, if that makes sense. But then I do rely on you guys to like keep me on course. You know, like there's times yeah. where I've definitely, you know, like I would have a different thought of, you know, so, you know, some scenarios and stuff like that. But then I do use you guys as a soundboard or like a guide rails to kind of keep me on track to make sure I don't stray too far from the North Star. Right? Yeah, that's the thing, right? I think real friends keep you in check, right? And, and yeah. they're good to give you outside opinions and and to know what, let you know when you're fucking up, but also to hype you up when you need it too. And I think that's yeah. what you guys definitely do for me too. And I think that when we have identity crises like this, it's important to rely on the people you trust to steer your ship back on course. They call me Captain Jack Sparrow. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So, I mean, I've been talking about identity nonstop for the last three weeks. I've obviously given this a lot of thought and after doing a lot of the research um, for these episodes and thinking about my identity, and thinking about the Bay's identity and America's identity, 
the big narrative that I would push in terms of why identity is important is balance. I think that if you have too strong of a self-identity, you're not going to be open to all that life has to offer and you're not going to be kind and you're going to miss a lot of people in your life, you know, who are trying to come in, but you know who you are, you don't need them. And so, you know, you're going to miss it. Where having no sense of identity, right? I think life is just going to pass you by and you won't really have control of your life. You won't be able to put yourself in a place that you want to be. You won't feel like you're really accomplishing any goals. And you, you won't really feel like you're a part of the world. You know what I mean? You, you won't feel like you're, you're pushing um, a narrative that you believe in, right? Something like whatever climate change or, or an improved political system, right? And so having a balanced sense of self-identity is really important, right? So, so that you stick to your beliefs, right? And so that you, you know, make friends with the right people that are for you. And so that you acquire things in your life that you want to achieve, but also being open, being kind, letting people into your life. And I think that balance is what can help what I believe to be everyone. Obviously, I could be wrong. Help everyone kind of live a more fulfilled life, but also one that involves right, caring for each other and being there for each other. Last thing I'll add on top of that is that it's okay if your identity changes too. I think that mm-hmm. we kind of get obsessed with saying like, this is my identity. This Yes. Is too me. strong. Way yeah, too, too strong. strong. For sure. Like you said, I think there are some things that stay with us forever. And then there are some things that are fluid. Like for me, at least, I will always be Asian American. My relationship with that has fluctuated over my lifetime and my identity with it, both from being ashamed of it to being very proud of it. Mm-hmm. And so, you know, there are certain things like that where you can find rooted confidence and doubling down on who you are. And then there are other things like for me, I, hip hop and dance was a huge part of my life. And I don't think it'll ever be something that I necessarily remove from my identity, but it's not an active part of who I am now but it is always in my heart. And so there are things that just like come and go and they shape who you are over your lifetime. That doesn't mean that, you know, you're, I'm no longer a dancer. I'm mm-hmm. always going to be one at heart, but just be comfortable with that. Your identity is fluid and just navigate those changes and, and check in with yourself. Don't let people put you in a box. All right, guys, that was a lot. How are you guys feeling? Good. Yeah. That was a heavy episode. There's a lot. That here. was, that was a heavy episode. I think that was heavier than I intended. And I think in, in, in my next turn in the rotation, I'm going to go for something a little more fun and lighthearted. SpongeBob. But, <laughs> SpongeBob. Um, but until then, we're going to close this episode with my favorite portion, the rapid fire questions. So, you guys ready? Yeah. Yeah. All right. Besides Warzone, what is the best game you played in 2020 with friends over video? For example, like, I mean, you got a lot of options like Jackbox, House Party, Among Us was a big one. I liked Among Us. Uh, Apex Legends. Apex. I never played that. I would say Among Us as well, actually. Yeah. Preferred video chat service for a family or friends call. <laughs> Zoom. Still Zoom? Zoom sucks. Facebook Messenger. Yeah, I would have to go Facebook Messenger too. And they got games. Exactly. Oh, that's true. This is not an ad. Uh, <laughs> What stay-at-home workout routine program or influencer would you recommend to our listeners? Chloe Ting on YouTube. Yeah, Chloe Ting. That's her name. I was, I kept, I kept thinking Jen Im, but I was like, I know it's not her. No, 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 no. it's Chloe Ting. Yeah. Who is Chloe Ting? I don't know. She just she has bodyweight like, workouts on on YouTube, but they're really she's good. Like abs, glutes. I think it's like marketed towards like women. But okay. I did it. I was like, dude, this is pretty fucking hard. <laughs> it's a hard workout, man. Gotcha. Is that's not um is that the same girl who does blogilates? No, no, no. no, no okay, no. okay, okay. Then that's blogilates. Mine, mine would be blogilates. <laughs> 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 what is the most interesting purchase you made during the lockdown? 
Interesting purchase. Uh, a house. <laughs> <laughs> okay, so that's pretty interesting. <laughs> what did I buy this year or last year? Oh, if you say a house to you, I'm, I'm going to break down. No, I, I have no idea what I bought. I don't even know what I said last time. All right, and last question: best movie you've seen in lockdown? Minari. 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 Fifty fifty. The movie came out in 20, 2011. Oh. But it was like on Hulu. Oh wait, is and, is that the Seth Rogen and? Yeah, and oh, when he has Gordon, cancer, right? J- yeah, Joseph Gordon-Levitt. Yeah, yeah, that's yeah. actually a fantastic movie, dude. I watched it. Not gonna lie, cried very close. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. Doug never <laughs> cries. I cry in every movie, so it's like very close. I was like, yeah, I was just like, dude, God. I was like, what happens if that was me? And then yeah, I think the best movie I saw in lockdown was Parasite, but I also recently watched the original Total Recall with Arnold. Dude. Oh, and so good. Dude, it's that movie scary, was lit. Dude. Yeah, it was scary, but oh, it, was, like, oh, it was good. <laughs> dude, that, dude, the animation with his eyes like bulging out of his head was legit one of like gave me nightmares. Yeah. Dude, the the scene with the lady. Oh, um, when he like yeah, pops out of her. That gave me nightmares. <laughs> okay, I was like, dude. Yeah, that was like scarred into my head forever. All right, baddies. Thank you so much again uh, for spending your time with us. I really hope that we gave you a lot to think about in terms of your sense of identity. And I will see you next week. Bye, guys. Bye. Bye. Reach out to us on Twitter and Instagram at 3AD Podcast. We know how precious time is these days. So we want to thank you for spending some of your time with us. As you go on into tomorrow, go on unapologetically, go on as a positive force, and most importantly, go on with your bad self.